0: Pastor Keith and I have been leading uh, you as a congregation uh, through an in-depth study uh, of 1 Peter. And uh, we are are not bypassing a single word. We're looking at all. We're not picking out the pieces we like and teaching you about them. Uh, So we encourage you to do the same. And There's some challenges in there, and one of them comes to us today. Uh, Hear the words, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through the balance of the chapter. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake. To every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend to those who do right, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. The love the love the family of believers. Fear God, honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable that if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable. Before God to this, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Uh, May we pray. God, from everlasting to everlasting, you speak to us. And this morning you speak words that need a discerning heart. And so, Lord God, as you bring your son, our pastor Keith, before us, we ask that you influence him by the strength of your Holy Spirit, that you give him strong voice to push through your message to us and that we might be blessed, energized, challenged, and sent by these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning.
1: I kind of like just wearing this kind of stuff to church on Sunday. Pastor Mike says, get over it. I think he's just jealous. You can, I have a little seat on the back of my motorcycle, Pastor Mike, I can put that on for you. You ever seen Dumb and Dumber, see that when they're cruising down the road? <laughs> wow, well, it's good to be with you this morning. You know, Pastor Mike was, was right when he talked about the challenges that come when you just go through the Bible verse by verse, which is why I think a lot of pastors don't do that. Because sometimes you come to scriptures that are just tough Sometimes you come to things that you read and you go Did God really mean that? Or what, what's that all about? And today is certainly one of those texts In 1 Peter two thirteen through 25 You Because know, all this talk of, of submitting to authority And, and you know, slaves, obey your masters this, this kind of stuff This is stuff that, that we, we view that Through our cultural and historical experience, don't we? you know and and we wonder how does that really match up with with a good and loving god you know i have you ever seen that movie uh, 12 years a slave I, I saw that movie um i don't know a couple months ago and and it just like really crushed my heart for a lot of reasons as it, as i think it should but there was a, there was a particular scene in that movie about it's a movie about slavery by the way um where this wicked slave master who just Relentlessly abuses his slaves. Decides once a week, I guess he has a, a worship service where he's the preacher and he reads the Bible to his slaves, and of course, quoting verses just like the ones that we read before, as a way to justify not only his actions but the actions of all who who would uh, abuse other human beings as well. And 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 you look at that and you go, is that right? Is that Is that the right way to handle the Bible? I mean, you know, there's two main problems I see with when it comes to interpreting the Bible. And the first problem is this. Number one, people have used the Bible over the years to justify horrible behavior. I mean, that's just the way it is, isn't it? People have used the Bible to not only justify slavery, but, but genocide and, and all sorts of different abuse. And, and human beings have been, have been known to do that. So, so that's problem number one. And then problem number two with that is that hum- people use the Bible oftentimes to attack Christianity, don't they? You know if, if you listen to uh, to various people who who oppose the faith and oppose uh, you know the scriptures, oftentimes they turn the Bible back on itself don 't they and say things like, "Well, look what the Bible says is okay, and we don 't truly believe that or or let 's look at the contradictions in the Bible or let 's look at, at some of the the outdated practices of the bible and, and 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 then and then put that back to us and say, "Well, is this what you believe now The issue here is is not what the Bible oftentimes says the issue is is what the bible means the issue has to do with how the bible is understood and and, you know we could have an entire sermon series um we're on number two guys the we uh, we could have an entire sermon series about how to read and understand the scriptures but today you know i want to focus just on this text in, in first peter and describe What I believe Peter means to his original audience and what it means for us today. So here's the bottom line. This text is not about whether slavery is okay. But before we get too far into that idea, I want to help you understand that a little bit about what the Bible means when it talks about slavery. Because, you know, all slavery was not created alike. And our understanding of what slavery means, when we hear that word slavery, we're thinking of you know the American colonial slave trade where where human beings were were kidnapped and and brought over to this country in horrible conditions and abused and and, and worked to death and had no humanity to them at all. That that is that is one sliver of what this term slavery means and and it may or may not be what's included in, in, in the scriptures. Now, for example, I'll give you a little bit of a historical background on, on some of the slavery, different things that were taking place in the Bible. In, in the Old Testament, for example, let's talk about that. Anybody could, could be a slave. Slavery was not connected to your race. It was not connected to your culture. It was not connected to a, a, a certain group of people. You know, when we think about American slavery, we think about, about the Africans that were kidnapped and brought over here, and that's that. That's the way we view that. But if you were a person in the Old Testament, anybody could be a slave. See, oftentimes slavery was something, believe it or not, that people entered into willingly. Because they didn't live in the world where there were government programs and societal uh, you know, ordinances to take care of people. And, and, and there wasn't such a thing as bankruptcy. And, and, and oftentimes people willingly entered into a relationship as a slave in order to pay off their debt. So if I had this uh, uh, an awful debt and I needed to pay it off, or otherwise my family would starve, I would I would submit myself to become a slave and and basically would work for you know my my board and, and education and room all that kind of. stuff. So a lot of us would look at that that's a job, you know. For example, slaves often you know in, in American slavery, sl- slaves were considered subhuman. So, they would, they were not taught to read, they weren't educated, but in the Old Testament, it was, it was valued to educate your slaves. If you were a, a, a person who owned slaves or had slaves, you would educate them because they were representing your business and your, your family. So, we see examples in the Old Testament, like, for example, Joseph. He was a slave. He rose to to prominence in Egypt. Oftentimes, people who started as slaves were able to work their way up in society to become very powerful people. Certainly not something that that is consistent with the way that we understand slavery. (laughs) Slaves were educated, as I said. and, and, And in Israel, God commanded in the Scriptures that Hebrew slaves be set free after seven years. This was called the year of Jubilee. And additionally, if a slave... From a foreign country escaped into Israel, God commands in the Old Testament that they not be returned to their master. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses, 20, uh, verses 15 through 16 reads this way You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him. You shall not wrong him. Now, this was pretty countercultural in the, the ancient world. Because in the ancient world, a slave was a person's property, and, and, and if a slave escaped, they were to be returned or, or punished severely and killed. So God has these strange uh, ideas about how, we're, how slaves were to be treated in, in, in this society. So if you really examine the way that the Bible handles slavery, in contrast to the way that other worldviews at the time dealt with it, you see a trajectory away from the idea that slavery is part of God's ultimate plan for the universe. Let me give you just a couple more examples of Old Testament verses that deal with slavery. Exodus twenty-one sixteen says, "...anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession." And then in, 20, in chapter 21, verse 26, it says, An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. So we're seeing kind of some strange ideas about slavery in a culture and in a time frame in history where, where slaves were horribly, horribly treated. But with, for God's people, God gives these, these strange commands that seem to give people humanity and seem to, to bring justice. So it sounds a lot different than the slavery of American colonialism, doesn't it? But if we follow this trajectory into the New Testament, we see even more the undermining of slavery. And I'm going to read to you a couple verses from the New Testament that that talk about slavery too. The first one comes from 1 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10. This is Paul writing to young Timothy about, about the law. And he says this, We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So in this list of of these of these behaviours that are contrary to God's word and and sound doctrine, Paul lists specifically in that in that that text there, slave traders. So immediately you're starting to see that God's idea is not best represented by an abusive slave master who is saying to his slaves, Hey, first Peter one says you have to or Peter two says, You have to do what I say. And of course, Paul continues in Galatians 3:28, when describing the way God views humanity, he writes these words, "There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." You see, what Paul is doing here is he's making all people equal when it comes to salvation. He's not saying that these barriers and these categories don't exist in society. He's not saying there's literally no such thing as a male or a female and that those things don't matter anymore. He's saying that when it comes to who does God accept and how does God view humanity, he's saying that your societal view of people in, in, in categories and in classes is not God's view. God views all people as one in Christ Jesus. There's one category for God. And that is his children. So Paul makes all people equal when it comes to salvation. He says that when it comes to the gospel, God does not exclude anyone based on their social status, economic status, or their gender. See, here's the thing we must remember about the Bible. And this is not a contradiction, by the way. The Bible is not a book about how secular society should be transformed from the outside in through laws and government. The Bible is about how Jesus transforms his people from the inside out. And this transformation is not about politics or government or force. It's about the heart. And that's what Peter was talking about. He wasn't talking about, let's have an uprising and change social policy. He was saying, how do you, as a born-again Christian, live and function in an evil, broken society and honor God at the same time? How do you do that? And that's a question that all of us must face. See, this text was not about whether slavery was okay, but how do we deal with a society that is unjust? What brings honor to God? We'll get back to that in a moment. But we have to remember the words of Jesus here. Jesus said in John 18, 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You see, Peter recognizes that because he heard these words from Jesus. You see, people have this mixed up idea that somehow Christianity can be smashed together with politics or with government policy and the world's going to be changed. It can't work that way. It's not supposed to work that way. Now, does this mean that politics are bad and and we shouldn't worry about the the views of our politics? Of course we should. But recognize this, Jesus Christ did not come to this world to give us some sort of social policy by which we can, you know, have this utopian society. Jesus came to this world and said, that doesn't work. You can't do that. You can't have all the right laws and rules and regulations. And that was his chief argument with the Jews, because they took the Old Testament and they said, here's all of our laws and everyone must obey these laws or else. And that will create a society in which God approves. And you know what Jesus said about that? He said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. See, you can have all the right rules in society. You can have all the right government programs. You can have all of that stuff under the banner of so-called Christian values. And be so far from God, it'll make your head spin. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as Christian values. Because Christianity is not about values. Christianity is about a person. Christianity is about a relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, will that transform the way we live? Absolutely. But you can't legislate that or take that down at some policy and say now because we have these rules and these policies, we're all in a Christian nation or we're all a bunch of Christians. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said my kingdom is not of this world. I didn't come to this world to institute some kingdom by military force or political power. I came to transform your heart through forgiving your sins. I came to give you a new creation in your heart. I came to help you turn from darkness into light. I've come to transform you from the inside out. And that's how God transforms the world. It's through transformed people. So Peter is not writing about policy and which policies are okay and and how should society be. He's saying, how should Christians be? How should you be? How should I be? That's his audience. He's encouraging people, as we read last week, to view themselves not as residents in this evil world, but rather as foreigners. He's implicitly undermining unjust institutions like slavery, but not through violence, but rather through the gospel. See, it's only when a person's heart has truly been transformed by the gospel that the idea of slavery becomes demolished. So let me give you a, a great example of this from the New Testament. Isn't this fun, going through the Bible and learning about these hard verses, by the way? See, I, I, I really enjoy this. It's difficult, yes, but you know what? We have two choices, I guess, when it comes to, to you know, dealing with... We can ignore it you know, and, and just preach on the things that everyone goes, oh, that made me feel so good, Pastor. You know, woo You know, we could preach on Jeremiah twenty nine eleven and how God has a plan for you to give you everything you ever wanted, right? Everybody loves that verse. See, so we could ignore it and just, or we could just plow through it and really get to the heart of what God is, is trying to say to us. And, and it's tough, isn't it? But I, I believe this, the more we understand the heart of God and how we interact with it, I, I believe the more our lives will be transformed. Speaking of transformation, there was this guy in the New Testament. His name was the Apostle Paul. We've mentioned him a couple of times today. And there's a book that he wrote, and I, I struggle to call this a book because it's like three paragraphs. It's called the book of Philemon. You guys know what that's all about, right? You ever read Philemon? Okay. If, if you're going through your Bible playing Russian roulette sometime, you know, God, what should I do today? Boom. You probably won't land on that because it's one page. But in this book, in this letter, Paul is describing a situation, and and what scholars believe has happened is in his journeys, Paul has converted a runaway slave named Onesimus to Christianity. So Paul has found this young man who, who was a runaway slave, he's converted him to Christianity, and now he's writing a letter to Onesimus, because now Onesimus is a fugitive, right? He's, he's in Roman society, and he's a slave, and, and, and he's a fugitive. And Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to step in and help this brother. So he, he writes a letter to Onesimus' owner, Philemon. And that's what this letter is. And in this letter, Paul says this to, about, about Philemon. He's instructing Philemon to receive him back. But in verse 16, he says, No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, Paul writes, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now, Paul's not writing this letter saying, Hey, you know what? We need a new policy here. We need a new societal law. We need a new candidate who can fix everything. We need some kind of government program here. He's saying, look, the gospel makes us all equal. The gospel makes us brothers, Philemon. The gospel makes you and Onesimus no longer the slave, you know, master relationship anymore. But now I want you to treat him as your brother in Christ because that's truly what he is. Now, does that sound like a book that endorses American colonialism, kidnapping, and abusing slaves? Does that sound like that? Of course not. But you see, it's much easier just to throw, you know, lob hand grenades at the Bible from a distance and say it's an outdated, evil book that doesn't have anything to do with our society. See, the truth is the Bible is very complicated. The Bible is a difficult book to understand because it was written to a people in a different time, in a different culture. Sure, it has, it has meaning for all of us in our day, but to get to that meaning, sometimes you've got to dig a little bit deeper to find out what was going on. And sometimes we have to peel back our own understanding of things as they skew our perspective. And that's not a bad thing, it's just a human thing. And that's what we see here. You see, here's what we take with us. God transforms through the gospel, and that's what we understand our mission to be about. So in the same way that the world is transformed by the gospel, not through laws and politics and society, all that stuff, you and I are transformed by the gospel, you see? Not through laws and rules and regulations and rituals and religion and things to check off our list and and all the stuff that we do to try to be good Christians. We're not transformed because we've been confirmed or because we've been baptized or because we've been to Sunday school or because we made a kit or because we went to Haiti or because we gave money or because of any of those things. We're transformed because God has renewed our hearts, because we've responded to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And that transformation has brought us to the place where we make kits, where we go to Haiti, where we serve fly lunches, where we baptize our children, where we confirm our families, where we support God's mission in the world. It's because of Jesus we do these things, not just to fit into some narrow way of life that believes in laws and rituals. See, it's the inside-out new birth, the spiritual birth, the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of the earth that matters. So in this text from Peter, we are reminded to make our aim not our own personal comfort and advancement in society, but rather the glory of God. We're not called to leave the world or to isolate ourselves, but rather to conduct ourselves in a way that brings honor to God. So what honors God in this evil, hostile world? You know, according to Peter, it's respect, holy living, Endurance, love, freedom, and obedience to authority. You see, in that culture, any excuse to kill and destroy Christians would be taken. And if it could be said about you and about I, if we were in that culture, that we were defying the laws of the emperor, and that we were trying to to bring some kind of uprising... It would discredit what God was trying to do. So Peter says, don't worry about all that. Just put up with it for a while. So that anyone who attacks you will be put to shame. Because when they see the Christians being the one who endure the persecution, endure the hardships, endure the trials, endure the pain, then it makes people ask the question, why would you do so? And the answer is because of Jesus. Jesus. Because look what Jesus endured. You see, I love that. I love that the answer to any question about why we would do anything is Jesus Christ. He is the answer. Why would you allow someone to mistreat you at your workplace? Because of Jesus. Now, does that give the workplace person the right to mistreat you? Of course not. Because if you remember what Pastor Mike read earlier, He says that we leave the judgment to God who is a just and righteous judge. Amen? God will deal with that. God will deal with those who oppress you. God will deal with the wrongs of society. God will deal with the abusers and the slave traders and the kidnappers and all who do evil. God will avenge that. And God will deal with that. He will judge it. And He will do a whole lot better job than I or you ever will do. Our job is not to to, to inflict revenge or judgment. Our job is to love and serve God and trust Him. And as Christ is our example, we can do it. Knowing that in Christ, all the wrongs we've suffered will be rewarded. Knowing in Christ that we might live for righteousness. Knowing that we've been healed of our sins. You see, if you choose to live the world's way of always getting yours... How does that make you feel? Tell you how it makes me feel. It makes me feel frustrated all the time because no matter how hard I try to make sure I get everything I want, it doesn't always happen, does it? You know what I'm talking about? If you're the kind of person that's always concerned with, well, did I get mine? Is it my turn? What about me? Then no matter how blessed you are, no matter how much you have, no matter how good things are, you're never going to be fulfilled, are you? Because there's always something in there. There's always somebody else that has it a little bit better than you. There's always something out there that you didn't quite get that you wanted. And we react in kind of crazy ways, don't we, when that happens. See, the problems of the world will keep being perpetuated in every part of our lives when we're focused on ourselves. I get like that sometimes. You know, I get really bent out of shape when I go to the drive-thru and they mess up my order. I was with my family one time, I went to Taco Bell, I love Taco Bell, and and got home and opened up the food, and it was all messed up, and I'm like, this is a travesty. What kind of society do we live in? Can't even hand somebody a bag of food that they ordered. They didn't care. You see that kid? He didn't even, here you go. Didn't smile at me. So the kids were like, what are you going to do? Are you going to go back over there, Dad? I'm like, I'm going to make a phone call right now express my displeasure with this place so I you know then as I'm dialing I'm like this is pretty ridiculous that I'm doing this so by the time the you know 17 year old kid answered the phone or whatever I had sort of like you know collected myself a little bit I said well you know we had a little problem so I just you know just try a little harder next time and my kids were listening and they go try a little harder next time that's all you got that's it Wow, Woo, I bet they're shaking in their boots over there right now. Try a little harder next time. Good job, Dad. Hey, we don't need to clean our rooms. We just need to try a little harder next time. That D on your report card, don't sweat it. Just try a little harder next time. Can you believe they would say that about me? But we get like that, you know. I mean, these people that are, that are getting ready to leave for Haiti, you know, when they come back, you watch They're going to come back and they're going to be like, what did we ever get worked up about over here? What is it about our life that we could ever complain about after seeing the way that people live down there? But hold on, not just the way that they live down there, but the joy they have in their heart. The believers in Haiti that we interacted with were the most joy-filled, satisfied people I've ever met in my life. And they walked. We, We fuss about parking here at this church, don't we? I do. Not today, though. i got a great spot this morning. Sunday morning in Haiti, you could see mothers with their little kids and babies walking for miles in the heat. Starting at like 6 o'clock in the morning for miles to come to church in a structure that's made out of three shipping containers with a metal roof attached to it where the power goes off every, you know, five minutes. And we complain. Now, I'm not trying to make a bunch of people feel bad in here. I'm just saying that when our, when our focus and mindset is on, hey, what do I need to get for me, then no matter what we have, we'll never have enough. But when our mindset and focus is on, what has Jesus done for me, then we can endure anything. We can endure the unjust oppression that comes to us in this world. We can endure... The, the unfair environments that we might have at work or at home. We can endure the, the, the physical issues that we, that we have or the financial troubles that we have. We can endure the, 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 the pain of life because we recognize that we're just not home yet. And that when we get there, Jesus has made a way. And we've been transformed by the gospel. For you were going astray like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So Peter calls you and calls me. Stand firm. Stand firm in the gospel. And trust God's will to be done. Amen. Have have a look at this video.
0: Marian Methodist is special to me um, because of the people here. Um, we have received so much love and support throughout um, the last few years. I just can't imagine this place without these people. Uh, we choose to give our gifts to Marion Methodist um, because God's doing great things here, um, and He's got great plans for for all of us here. And we're, we want to support that and support the things that our kids will be up to in the future. My name is Joanna Liscombe. These are the reasons why I choose to give to Marion Methodist. Will you please join me in worshiping God in this way? Will the ushers please come forward?